1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, city of champions. There it is, the crack of the bat, the the, the smack of the leather. Is that what you said? I think that's what we said. The yeah. punch of the leather. Yeah, the smack of the leather bag, the you know, leather on leather gloves. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Is uh, we're off and running. Uh, Detroit, city of champions. It's the podcast. We're up to episode 41. 41, man. We're starting to click these things away. These are, pretty soon as we episode 50, we're going to have balloons. I and, know. Yeah, yeah. A cake. You know, surprise parties and people <laughs> running in saying, oh my God, congratulations, boys. It's your 50th and 50th show. You know, thinking about it, we might hit 100, 100 somewhere right around the next Champions Day. So Could be. That'll Absolutely. be a good That'll be a good goal. So. Oh, oh, man, that'd be perfect to nail it right on that yeah. the 100th show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's uh, Detroit City of Champions going through the 1935 year, a trilogy of books, a screenplay. It's, it's a movie in the making. Uh, yeah. it's, it's ready to roll. Written, Greatest all, season. All that stuff written by... Charles Avison. Yeah, I'm Jamie Flanagan, and uh, Charles is just telling me the stories as we hang out in the podcast Detroit Studios downtown We're telling, Detroit. Like, and the thing is, they don't see us before and after the shows. I'm like, this story continues. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. There's one more stuff, Jamie. Oh, my like, God, there's a lot more. You know, like, we hang out for like a little bit before and a little after, and we're oh, telling yeah. City of Champions... You know, before and after. It's not just like when the mic turns on. Oh you know? my God! No, it's it, it goes and goes and goes. Yeah. And uh, we're you know we're we're uh, talking about uh, just uh, just uh, icon in sports and uh, uh, yeah. uh, uh just uh, Joe Lewis iconic because you got to think about how many athletes are enshrined and and celebrated in their city. Um, the like Joe Lewis is here. He's enshrined. There's numerous things with Joe Lewis. You, you know, you and got the statue of Kowal. You got the, you got the 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 fist, the downtown fist. Right, right. I mean, and we got a giant uh, fist in downtown Detroit. They the, had a hockey arena. The arena named after. They had a him. hockey arena named after a boxer. Yeah. Okay. So we've got all these things. Yet at the same time, uh, the 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 story of Joe Lewis is pitifully unknown. Yeah. It's. Underwent like it. There's, there's, there's. I mean, there's things out there. Because if you people tell me about Joe Lewis, forgotten. oh well, he was a boxer. Exactly. He was a really good boxer. Everybody knows he's a boxer. He was a really good. But boxer. when you're talking about he was the, a Detroit guy, really. But good if you're boxer. talking about like boxing history and yeah. influential boxers, especially if you're talking about like black boxers, the name, all the everyone's brain immediately goes to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. It, um, it jumps right to him. Right. And it, so that like that's where everybody's always like Muhammad Ali. That's where so, Joe. The story of Joe Lewis. The, who Joe Lewis was, the impact that Joe Lewis had on his sport, the the impact that Joe Lewis had on America, yeah. the impact that Joe Lewis had on all American sports. Like, there's very few people in the history of uh, of America. Like, I, I rank him one of the most important people of the entire 20th century. Well, he helped break down that color barrier. Absolutely. And, and, that's and he say, inspired... Yes. You know, so many people that that came after, and they cred- Abs- they do credit. They him. all credit him. I mean, J- uh, Jackie uh, Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson, even Muhammad Ali 
there, at one when Joe Lewis died, Muhammad Ali said, "I used to call myself the greatest. Joe was the greatest." Oh, that's see. how we, that was one of the things that that's he, touching. He, he, absolutely, for, for Muhammad to suck absolutely, it up yeah, and say that. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. He wasn't <laughs> sucking it up. They, you know, Muhammad, yeah. you know, he, well, you great. know, taking in his pride because yeah. would he ever would he ever say he's not the greatest? Well, yeah, right? it was, you know, it was yeah, that, yeah, it was that yeah. you know it was when Joe died and yeah. there was like you know no, eulogies coming out and it was a yeah. quote that I saw it somewhere like I think it was the Detroit News or Free Press that's I saw that quote beautiful man but there but that's what I mean like but Joe Lewis um like but there's but the what what I was saying is is that it his the story of Joe Lewis mm-hmm. like where he came from. And what, like, especially all the events that happened in 1935 to allow him to become what he would become yeah. is just one of the most incredible stories, like, that's never been told. Because we happens set up in this year. I know. We set up the, the pitfalls with uh, Jack Johnson yes, and laid uh, down the, the, yeah. the, bar- the additional barriers that that incredible career. Yeah. Set up additional barriers for, for, for Joe. For Joe Inadvertently, and, and you know, Jack Johnson, I don't think Jack, I never looked at Jack Johnson as necessarily a bad guy. He no, was just no. a guy who it wanted just, to do his own thing and yeah. he had a chance to be himself. And it was, you know, it came at a time, it came at a time yeah. when, um, when that was like you know it, it would ha- you know there was repercussions for other people that would follow him, yeah. and so and that's what I'm saying. So you know we we talked about the obstacle of Jack Johnson, right? And then the last couple episodes we talked about you know you know it was that wasn't just the just, only obstacle. It was the fact that Joe Lewis had came from like he was the most unlikeliest of heroes. Sure, I mean to come from where yeah. he came from, like. Uh, you know, especially when you're reading Richard Back's book. I mean, this Richard Back has this right. phenomenal book. You know, it's called The Great Black Hope um, by by uh, again by Richard Back, um, and he does a phenomenal job of talking about the early life of Joe Lewis. And I always and I encourage everybody to get the, the, to read the book if you're interested in Joe Lewis. It's a tremendous book, as as I mentioned a couple times. But uh, but it talks about you know it, it's it, you, you, it, he paints this beautiful this beautiful illustration in your mind about you know Joe it, when he's you know growing up up until about I think it was twelve years old when he moved to Detroit um, Joe, you know Joe is growing up in this rural Alabama you know in the shadow of the Buckaloo Mountains you know they're they're this sharecropper family he's one he's the seventh of eight children and then his mother marries a man and then he becomes there's like sixteen children in the entire household. Yeah. Um, and then you and know, feeding that through the depression. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, they cut, they moved to Detroit for better opportunities, and then you know, it's then they're they're moved into Black Bottom, which is a completely different environment for him. You know, he's coming from this you know again deep South rural environment, and then he moves to Detroit, which I think we it was the seventh largest city in the country at the time. Yeah. It's just there's everybody. There's this great you know they call it the Great Migration happening, sure. where there's all there's millions of people pouring up you know into these northern cities. And Joe's, well, you know, a face amongst millions. This right. is a guy that has no chance. He's not. He he is. He's not good at school. Right. He is. Um. You know, he's not necessarily a big guy when he's a kid. He's he's not a. You know, he's not aggressive. He. You know, he's a nice kind of quiet, shy little kid. You know, growing up in this crazy environment of paradise. You know, where you got in Black Bottom, Detroit, where there's Paradise Valley. Um, there's, you know, these like he's kind of torn between the, the this, you know, strict religious upbringing of his mother, and then the sort of temptations of Paradise Valley, you know, which is like the the entertainment district of of Black Bottom, Detroit, and you know he's facing this kind of pull into two directions, 
And you know, really, the only the only, you know, and he's he's not really you know he's he's taking woodworking classes, right. which he's not going to be the greatest woodworker ever. His mom gets him into violin classes. He's not going to be the uh, you know the next violin maestro. Right. You know, where does he fit? And it's just a, he's a you know he's a face in the crowd. It's one of the most unlikely beginnings of or you know for anybody to get the breakout. You know, to become what he would become, and that's so, really what makes the story even better. So, as far as like the purses and the money and the 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 popularity of the sport compared to 1935, because hockey was a, a, a smaller sport. Um, the Stanley Cup was still a big deal. It was a big deal in Canada. With the, with, well, within with the, the Canadian, hockey world, it was. In, but in, you know, in the Canadian yeah. teams, it was. It was Detroit. A, it was basically meant nothing. I yeah, mean, it's, a, it's just some random championship right, right. that they, they don't know anything about it. Yeah. So, but hockey was a smaller sport. Football and, and baseball, compared to boxing, uh, the popularity were, were, were the college football was big. Yeah, pro football was not. It was right. in its total infancy. It had started to grow with a little bit of popularity with like Red Grange, like in the twenties. There was like yeah. this, like the Roaring Twenties. We mentioned the five. You know, you had the Babe Ruth in, in baseball, Red Grange in football, Bobby Jones in golf. You had these, like you know, these sports had these like sort of iconic. You know, um, people in it. So Red Grange, the you know Red Grange was really important for pro football, but that's only in the you know in the twenties and thirties. It's it really is a evolving sport. Right. People, you know, there, there was still a little bit of a stigma that like you know on professional athletes that they only played for money and that the, sure. that the college game or the amateur golfers. That's why Bobby well, thank Jones. Thank God that's changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, but the, but the, you know, an amateur, you know, amateur Bobby Jones was an amateur even when he was like the biggest name, and so yeah. they looked at Bobby Jones. As you know, as like the epitome of the golfer, because he didn't necessarily play for money. He was you know he maintained his amateur status. Whereas Walter Hagen, who certainly played for money, he was a pure professional, and he yeah. and he and he was probably one of the you know big highest paid guys. Um, you know, they kind of looked down on him a little bit. In fact, they, there's a there's a story we're going to get to Walter Hagen. He's okay. a big Detroit guy. Yeah. And so, um, in Walter Hagen, they wouldn't even let him change in the clubhouses at some of these golf uh, golf clubs uh. because of he was a professional, and they were like. You're like a paid mercenary. So, you know, oh, like wow. the amateur, there was still this mentality, there was this mentality that people that were amateurs or that, you know, that didn't take money for, for playing, like, like I say, the Bobby Jones, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that they, that they, you know, that they were, had, they, they were pure sports. That's why college football was revered, whereas right. pro football was looked at as like a mercenary thing. So compared to baseball, because baseball was pretty big. Yeah. So uh, with the purses and the popularity and attendance. Baseball was the number one sport. It's for, not even close. Okay. Yeah. So, but boxing, whereas boxing was well, probably number. Well, boxing, boxing the purses was big. Were, were big, though. Yeah. Well, right? that's the thing. Bo- that's what we were talking about all the way since the dawn of humankind. People have paid money to see each other, <laughs> two guys punch each other in the face. <laughs> Okay. You know, they paid money to see women punch each other in the yeah, face. They yeah. paid money to see dwarves punch each other in the face. You know sure. what I mean? Like, people want to see Can we get that now? What's that? Dwarves? Can we get that now? We're in Detroit, bro. There's all kinds. Okay. You can do whatever you want out here, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you got the money to watch. There's, there's all kinds of stuff you see. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is, is that, um, but so boxing, yes, there's, mo- there's absolutely money to be yeah, paid in boxing. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that was sort of different about boxing was, there was, you know, there, there, you know, it, it, it there's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of sporadic. You see, what I'm saying like, there's no like, I mean, there was an organization. You have the, you know, the, sure. the, the, the main, but there you know, wasn't a season. And but there, there was, was a game after game. There wasn't, but it wasn't necessarily like a route that you per, that you followed to get to the pinnacle of boxing. Sure, there were belts. Sure, mm-hmm. there was titles. There was, um, there was the Gold Gloves tournament, which was what were the, really the title of the show. What we're going to be talking about today. Um, the Gold Gloves were certainly a route for an amateur to become a professional, but. 
that you know is really upon like that the individual boxer to kind of make a name for themselves to make their you know to make it so that people wanted to see them fight because yeah. if you're just watching two guys you know punch each other in the face it's nothing but it's you're watching two people that are like the champion of this versus the champion of that and then yeah. they come together now we want to see it now it's interesting you know the champion of Chicago versus the champion of Detroit or the champion of you know like a Polish champion versus this and so we and we even talked about it on a previous episode with boxing how a lot of these promoters in order to build the interest for these fights would use like race or nationality to right. pit like yeah. a black fighter versus a white fighter who is you know a black champion you know like the they had the you know like they called it the you know the official title being the, the you know the colored champion versus sure. the white champion right. or like you know they, they would use those nationalities and differences because they would convey the stereotypes with it and to see who is the better you know, it, you know, it, you know, it it breeds interest, and it still breeds interest to this day. People pit different races and colors against each other in the arena for for everything, for yeah. politics, for everything. It's still what you know one of the things that people use to hype up for money and all this other stuff. Um, but in it, but anyways, so in in the case you know, in the case of Joe Lewis, that you know the the route to the to the, the thought of becoming like a heavyweight champion of the world yeah. was like going to Mars or going to the moon. I mean, it's like I mean, it's it there's it's like almost an impossible dream. But what did pique his interest was the idea he was the idea that even as an amateur boxer mm-hmm. that he could win like uh, merchandise vouchers for just you know for fighting against you know local characters in Detroit and right. these like back room sort of beer halls and wherever you know people yeah. there's always gonna be somebody to pay even a couple bucks to watch a fight even if just two random unknowns yeah and so you know and the so the brewster we talked about last episode the brewster recreation center became a major spot for these people you know for and these they, guys. it spawned a lot of uh a ton of uh, yeah there were there were a lot of very big successful names, names that came out of the brewster out. Yeah. yeah absolutely and and joe the unlikeliest of them all yeah, absolutely and joe there was a point where joe with there was so many good up-and-coming boxers coming out of the brewster recreation mm-hmm. center that they even said um that joe wasn't even the best one yeah he wasn't and we're gonna see today he like he like there's a you could actually make a case for another guy stanley evans was a they like had more hype, had more like he actually. We're gonna talk about how he beat Joe, right? Like, there's other guys that I mean that were had bigger sort of names attached to themselves. But there's but there's one thing. There is one thing that fight fans covet above all else. What was that? And there's one thing that Joe Lewis possessed that gave him an advantage, an increasing advantage. The longer his fights went, on, the longer his career went. You know, the longer he stuck with boxing, yeah. and he did love the and he loved the sport. He loved the road work. He loved the training. He loved, you know, he loved the, the science of boxing. He did. He found a, you know, a, a sport that he felt that he fit into, and a place that he fit into in this group of guys that he would train with at the Brewster. That they fought each other. That they all kind of dreamed together. That they, you know, they they went. They participated in amateur fights in you know in groups together. Yeah. Um, so he sort of found a niche to fit in. I think that was initially what that he loved. The idea that he could win a little extra money for merchandise vouchers. And, and, and have fun, but like I say, there's one thing that Joe possessed, you know, from the beginning, and inc- and and it would increasingly grow in in value, um, which was the ability to knock people out. The ability <laughs> that there's it doesn't matter in boxing, in yeah. boxing, the primary skill, the thing that attracts viewers, the thing that attracts. We can, you know we talk about like the you know like the the hype machine for for the different fights is when you got a fighter that can knock people out, okay? Not just the you know there's there you know there's of course there's like the the boxing style which is like the points or whatever where 
you know, the, a boxer or another wins on points. He gets more points per round or whatever it is like this. Right. But there is nothing like nothing watching. like that knockout. But there is nothing that boxing fans crave more than watching a guy knock somebody out. Yeah. And that is what Joe possessed. From an early, early on, like we're going to see here, you know, he was raw. But like I say, but the thing about it is, is that these fight fans, the more increasingly, the more that Joe is knocking people out and showing mm-hmm. them these these power punches, the more that people are starting to take notice of him, and that's what separated him from the crowd. All right. As we're about to get to, so, yeah. So today's episode, we 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 title the episode "Gold uh, Golden Gloves." Yes, because um, this so you know in the last episode we left off, um. Where again, you know, we where Joe is, you know, tra- you know, training, uh, training in these uh, in this gym with the Brewster. Mm-hmm. But so now, so we're, so now we're in 1933, and Joe Lewis is uh, in in early uh, Joe's birthday is in May, so um, he's 18 years old to start the year. He would finish the year as uh, 19 years old. Okay. So he's 18 years old. So Joe has been training. He's he's fought several different uh, amateur fights, not too many, but he's fought several. Um, he lost his first fight against Johnny Myler. He, he responded, you know, strongly with another, you know, knockout of this other guy. But his first really big test was in the uh, 1933 Detroit Gold Glove Tournament. All right. In order to understand the Gold Gloves, for maybe people that aren't sort of like, you know, really in tune with boxing, I just want to give kind of a brief run of the concept of it, okay? So basically, the, the, the Gold Glove Tournament is open to amateurs, and it's really open to anybody. Anybody can join, okay? And so the first, the, um, the, so the first Gold Glove Tournament was in Chicago in 1929, all right? And it was in the Gold Glove Tournament was introduced to Detroit in 1931. So, Detroit, so Chicago was the Nationals. That's where you wanted to go. Okay. So all the cities around the country that had Gold Glove Tournaments, you would win your tournament, and then you would come to Chicago for the Nationals. That was the idea. But it was open to pretty much everybody, and there was two open classes. You, um, you, had, the, uh, you had the novice class and the open class. So the novice class is, is as the name implies. It's basically like you know, very raw bone sort of rookies, very new to the you know to this is like their first tournament type of thing. And then the open class is basically as the name also implies, it's open to like somewhat veterans. I mean, you can be like you know, you can pretty much be whatever age you want to you know to join the open class. You can have as much experience as you want. So, oh, okay. So so there's two different classifications. There's novice and open, and there was eight weight classes between each of those. Um, uh, between each of those, you know, divisions between open and uh, no- and novice, and so as a result, there were sixteen total champions award- uh, awarded, and so of course the highest level was the the um, was the heavyweight the heavyweight, and Joe competed as a light heavyweight, so because of his weight, so he was just a tick below the full on heavy, so they call him a light heavyweight, okay, in this time. And so the, what the, the way that it worked was it was open to all, and this is what was interesting, it's open to all races, black, white, any race, anybody can t- take part in the, in the, in the gold gloves. It, um, and, it, and so, you, and so it, there, uh, there'd be a couple thousand entrants into the, into the tournament, like a couple thousand, because Detroit was a big, it was a main hub for boxing. Every, people, there, it was a big boxing town at the time. Right. And, so there, and so it would be a six-week single elimination tournament that ran from January to February with fights at various venues across the city. So these 2,000 fighters, they would sign up, you know, turn in their slip or whatever, and they would fight. They would get, you know, slotted to fight around the city somewhere. And so boxing fans would be all over the place watching these different fights. They'd want to go watch welterweight or lightweight. And these or are prelims for the exactly. Right. And they would, and as you lost, you would get your name crossed off, and then you're, you would advance to bigger and bigger venues mm-hmm. until the final venue, the grand finale, was at Olympia Stadium. That was a grand finale, and all the oh, major wow, okay. people would go there. Yes, 
1933, Joe enters the Detroit Gold Gloves, and he has six straight knockouts to win the light heavyweight champ to, to win the light heavyweight novice class. Okay. Uh, so he was entered as a novice as his first tournament, and he entered. So he wins has six straight knockouts to win in that class. Okay. So he advances to Chicago for the Nationals, um, but then he but he lost to his uh, to his Brewster stablemate, um, a, you know, a Brewster boxer named uh, Clinton Bridges. On right. points, keep in mind, he didn't get knocked out. Um, he lost on points. Okay. Um, and so and then so. Uh, um, Yes, and so then, and then that summer he would end up losing a fight. Uh, he would lose a, a a fight that summer to another Brewster stablemate. This is like some of the, I don't want to say an exhibition because it, you know it went on his record, but um, but he lost a fight to Stanley Evans, who is going to be sort of become like sort of like his main rival as far as the you know the biggest up and comers in Detroit at that time. All right, and so we actually have a picture of Stanley Evans. Yeah, very just... very rare photo. This is from my book. Okay, this was a very difficult photo to find. Really? Yes. Um, and so this yeah. So we have a picture of Stanley Evans. It's so, a very very yeah, rare. Nineteen thirty three. You can you, go ahead and Google him. I, I doubt. Yeah. I don't think you'll even find anything on Google. This is something that's straight out of a newspaper. Okay. So um, so anyways, and so he lost to Stanley Evans, but despite um, but despite. Uh, Joe um, losing to Stanley Evans in in this he he this, the fact that he has these six straight knockouts as I mentioned it's the this knockout power that Joe has that catches people's interest and he caught the attention of a of a Detroit businessman 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 named John Roxborough okay okay and so in in a previous episode we introduced. Uh, ben Turpin, the Detroit policeman who would sort of stave Joe off from making a terrible decision and joining this like gang and sort of like, you know, kept him away from, you know, Joe was like sort of literally at a pivotal moment where he's going to go join this gang or he's going to go home to mama. And Ben Turpin, this uh. policeman, you know, pushed him in the direction to go home to mama instead of, you know, you know, his life. And he, and, but Joe, so John Roxborough is going to become the second major male influence besides his father, besides sure. that, I'm talking about it towards his career. Um, John Roxborough is going to become a second and, and very important uh, influence on his career. And so um, just a little a brief kind of a rundown about John Roxborough. We have an image of him, too. Um, so, uh, so John Roxborough, is, is the, uh, he's a, he is um, a, a fairly well-known, uh, rich black businessman in Detroit. Okay. Okay. And the way that he had uh, earned his money was... Um, some people were like, "Oh, he was kind of like a criminal. There was a little bit of you know dark money or whatever." But the the the, the way that he made his money was he was sort of an opportunist. Okay, mm-hmm. um, his brother was the first. His brother was the first was Michigan's first black legislator. Legislature. Okay. Oh legislature, wow. Yes. Okay. So he so he like originally he was going to go to law school. He comes you know he's he's you know he you know he came from somewhat reputable like you know beginnings. He's like. Um, his like he was uh, like he had initially was gonna like, go to law school now, but he was like I want to make money. I don't want to sit in school for years. And he thought that he had the aptitude to like make money without having to like do the whole college thing. And, yeah. and as it turned out, he sh- certainly did because he started off as a bail bondsman. And while he's a bail bondsman, he um, he uh, bailed out a uh, uh, he bailed out a numbers runner from Kansas City. Who taught him? Like who? In thank, in thanks for bailing him out and getting him sort of out of the trouble that he was in at that moment, 
Um, he brought John Roxborough to Kansas City and taught him the numbers racket. <laughs> and it's important, to, you know, if you want to t- stop for a second and explain the numbers Kansas. racket. Yeah, what is the and the, the gen- the gen- It's a racket. Yeah, so, you know, people here talking about the number, you know, running run numbers yeah. is, a, is a term that you hear in movies and that. But the numbers racket is basically like a lottery system, okay? Before, okay. like, you know, like, you know, you see how people love to play the lottery. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. the lottery's huge, right? Oh, yeah. So in this era, there was Fun no schools. lottery necessarily. No. And so, the, so what it would ha- what it would do was you would have slips, right? You'd have slips, and that, and you would say like, and you would you would give a neutral. Are number. we teaching people how to run numbers? We, well, yeah, but it's almost irrelevant now. <laughs> we we can right. we can teach them how to run numbers, but it's almost irrelevant because <laughs> there's a state numbers running. <laughs> it's, the, it's the, the lottery. The, yeah. the state runs numbers now with the Every lottery. Every day, yeah, powerful. exactly, yeah. All right, but, but keep the, going, the keep primary going. you got to slip. And, the, the primary component of the numbers is, is is that is that you have a neutral number that everybody agrees upon is going to be the number that is drawn. And okay. that you don't control it necessarily. That it's you know that everybody trusts the picking of the number. So the numbers runner would essence say the number like the the the, the horse that finished the number of the horse that finishes in second place in the Santa Anita handicap this Thursday is the number that wins on the oh, okay. on the thing right All right or like a you know some number that's mutually agreed upon that there's no possible way that that gambler you know that the sure. person who's issuing those tickets could have you know could influence sure. And so, uh, so, uh, so, anyways, and so then they would issue like a, ch- a, 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 like a kind of like a, um, you know, like in football, how they do the part, like the, uh, the numbers for a game, how you yeah. bet on the football numbers, and you like pick your number. Once you get that number, you know, you pay five bucks to get it, and then, not, then nobody else can take that number. Yeah. That's kind of how the numbers game works. Is you ha- you go around the city and you have and you hand out and you sell you sell the in essence lottery tickets and each person gets to scratch off that number that they want right. and then at the, and then the numbers runner makes their money because like they take in $1000 and then the winner wins like seven hundred, right? You know what I mean. And they keep the three. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? it works for, for, for running the for running sure, the numbers. Sure. And so, it, as a result, John Roxborough took over. You know, dominant. Especially he's coming up in this era. He moves to Detroit, yeah. and he's and he's like you know he evolves his this numbers racket um, at a time when Detroit is you know blooming, you know exploding yeah. with yeah. in the in the black bottom. He's running numbers in black bottom, and he's making himself a fortune. And he came across Joe, and he. Well, well, he yeah. So him? one more step. I'm going to give you okay. a little more background. All right, yeah, so yeah. so he takes the money that he's making off numbers running and making off the numbers, and he's investing it in real estate. Okay. So he crosses over into legitimate business. So yeah. he is. That's why people say he's a semi disreputable character. That's how he's sometimes described. Um, but but where the, was he buying up real estate? Uh, I, I don't have that specific okay, right, information. But I didn't know was, if it was in Black Bottom. It it, was I'm sure it was. Or, I'm sure. He, I'm sure he invested some of it. In, but yeah, but yeah. that was the other thing was that one of the things he was known for was that he was <clears throat> was that he was a philanthropist. Right. Like he put money into like local community projects and in you know local community businesses and like let people borrow money. Then there were in uh, Richard Back talks about in his book how um, how. Uh, um, like a lot of these, like uh, like Negro League baseball teams yeah. were financed in their city by people that ran numbers and did these sort of, you know, that just sure. like people like John Roxborough. How a lot of these, you know, these, you know, these teams and stuff were financed by the by these guys. Well, and then you get in the whole betting thing, and then you get in betting around sports. Sure, and then you and can, it can bring lend it, it lend bring itself it into to that. Some, sure, absolutely. Yeah, uh, some shenanigans yeah. that could really. Head down a shenanigan kind of yeah. road there. So, but that's but so you know that a lot of these philanderers, that's when they put their money into baseball teams, they put their money into community organizations. Yeah. Um, and one of John, uh, John Roxborough's biggest, like his business, one of his business partners, um, Everett Watson, was the guy that financed the Detroit Stars 
you know, who played it, you know, who, that, which was the Detroit's Negro League mm-hmm, team. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, that's, that's how close these guys are to the world of sports and what's going on. So anyways, John Roxborough was interested in, um, you know, potentially investing some, some money his, you know, in, into boxing or whatever, especially if he, when he sees this young, you know, this young guy from Detroit that's just out knocking, knocking people, people out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's, there's like, you know, St- you know, Stanley Evans had just beaten Joe, but, you know, but by points, you know, he didn't knock Joe yeah, out. And yeah. they're like, you know, John Rox was like, yeah, this is Evans. a guy, you know, it, it had, you know, he's young and this and that. But he's like, but I want the guy who's knocking people out. You know, yeah. we can develop him, you know, yeah. like one fight's one fight, but a guy that's this. So anyway, so he then, um, so he then, uh, you know, approaches Joe and he's approached, um, he's, you know, introduced to Joe and then uh, John Roxborough ends up bankrolling Joe. Mm. Like he and by and by bankrolling, what I mean is is that you know in order for a boxer to do what he's got to do, he's got you know he can't be working nine to five every day. He's got you know if you can if you can give you know every advantage you can give somebody so they can take the next step up is a huge thing. Right. And so um, so John Roxborough is is paying you know putting money in Joe's pocket so he doesn't have to work. Well, is, a lot of these we talked about that with the, those football players and and the baseball players. They had they had other. Part-time jobs mm-hmm. just to make ends meet. Yeah, but Joe. So here, you know, Joe had just won the 1933 Detroit Gold Gloves. You know, and then uh, and so now the mentality is: is next year you're going to win it. You're not going to just win the novice class. You're going to win the open, and then you're going to go to Chicago and win that. Yes. But in order to you know to take the next step towards the pro career, but in order for Joe to do that, he had to train. He right. couldn't get beat by Stanley Evans types anymore. He had to get. He had to win. You know, he had to be trained. So. Um, so he had to be able to be free to train, you know, as much as possible. He had to eat good, you right. know, to develop his body. Sure. And so, um, and so, uh, John Roxburgh would like bring him over to his fan to his dinner table and no feed more, him steak. no more hot dogs because we mentioned before the, that's the, all he grew up on. He just he, he, he knew he, the only meat he knew was hot dogs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Richard Back has a section in his book uh, um, where he talks about it. He actually says, you know, Joe grew up on a diet of hot dogs and ice cream. And when Roxborough came along, he, you know, that's when he switched to steak. You know, that's what, you know, that's that was the, you know, like steak and actually in vegetables. That's mm-hmm. when he first started eating, you know, good meals so he could really, you know, develop his body, right? Um, and and dedicate himself to the science of boxing. Wow. Okay. And so, and then Roxborough took him shopping for like the, you know, new gloves and new shoes. Well, his shoes and were the, tatters. Absolutely, yeah. the guys walk around in rags. So he's so he's getting, you know, he's getting him all the stuff that he needs to really become a boxer. Wow. And he got him a bunch of hand me down. Suits that Roxborough you know, like didn't need anymore. He gave him some suits to wear to look, look start to look sharp and to look the part a little bit. And so, and there was, and there was a brief moment. However, I just want to throw this in there. There was yeah. a brief moment where Roxborough was going through a divorce, and so he actually had to pull back on his giving the money to Joe, and he actually got Joe a job uh, temporarily at um, I think it was Briggs. But uh, it didn't. It wasn't. It didn't last too long. You know, what I mean, Joe just it kind of just like didn't even go and just was able to scrape up a little bit of money to just to just kind of fluff that off and to keep on training. Sure. Um, but anyway, so entering the um, the, uh, the the nineteen thirty four Detroit Gold Gloves. Um, so I kind of want to just read. I want to read a section on Richard Back's book. Richard Back's book because it really describes um, the ensuing series of events for the 1934 gold gloves. And of course the, uh, 1934 Chicago gold gloves, you know, the two of them. So I just want to read us uh, this section out of here because he, he really has a good, uh, uh, this sort of, you know, a really colorful description of how it all went down. So, um, all right. So, uh, okay. So, in, so in, 
so empowered by Roxborough's largesse and inspired by the fine things he saw attached to success, he marched through a half dozen young men to become Detroit's 1934 Gold Gloves light heavyweight title holder in the open class. This time around, Joe and several of his friends fought for Mount Olivet Baptist Church. He started his quest by bombing Chico Golden with an opening round left hook that the Free Press described as a masterpiece. Golden, a strong, rugged lad, was out for quite a while. Mark Belter, then a prep school student, was at the Naval Armory that night. He hit the guy so hard they didn't even bother to count him out, recalled Belter, who later worked for the Detroit News and the Free Press. I remember the sound of his head hitting the floor. He laid there like a pancake while the doctor climbed over the ropes to help him. He eventually came around, but what I remember best thinking is, holy God. And then the fight being over. It was incredible. I've been to a lot of fights before and since, but I have never seen anything quite like it. I was absolutely amazed that anybody could hit that hard. So over the next several weeks, Joe and his nemesis, Stanley Evans, zipped past the elimination rounds, both knocking out all of their opponents through the semifinals. On the cold evening of February 16th, they met at Olympia Stadium for the title. Evans, who worked at Briggs while he wasn't representing the Highland, Amateur, Highland Park Amateur Boxing Club, went into the fight as a slight favorite due mainly to his victory over Joe the previous summer. He was described as a rugged mauler who can take a punch as well as deliver one. But cool, skillful Joe prevailed, reported the next, next day's free press. Lewis got the jump on Evans. Boxing carefully, he won the first round. In the second, he landed a terrific left hook to Evans' jaw while the two were in the midst of a heated exchange. A right followed, and Evans slipped to the floor. He was up without taking account, however, and battled gamely for the remainder of the round. In the third round, Evans, evidently realizing that he was behind, came out of his corner determined to slug it out with Joe. Joe, Joe, knowing he had won the first two rounds, played safe. He lost the final round after much hard slugging, but still had enough of an advantage to take the decision at the finish. So that's a hard fight that he fought against Stanley yeah. Evans to win that championship in Detroit. That's one of the things that's kind of like doesn't get it really enough attention is that fight against Stanley Evans, who was like, you know, that was the, that was like the first main fight that he had to overcome was right. getting past a guy that had beat him the previous summer. I mean, Evans was listed as a slight favorite in the odds. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so now Joe proceeds on to Chicago. This is where we're talking about the Nationals. On to Chicago. So he's, Joe's won the, Nash, <laughs> so the, the Detroit Gold Gloves. Now he's headed to Chicago for the 1934 Gold Gloves. So Joe then carried his lethal wallop to Chicago, where he and seven other Detroit Gold Gloves winners participated in the Tournament of, tournament of Champions. Golden Gloves had descended on Chicago Stadium for nine from nine. I'm sorry, Golden Glovers had descended on Chicago Stadium from nine Midwestern states, with the first night's program alone featuring 140 bouts. Wow! Seven thousand people watched two rings in action continuously from 6:30 p.m. to the wee hours of the morning. Wow! Joe won his opening matches, flooring Ray Wozniak four times, and then outpointing Harry Swanson. The next, even, the next evening, 15,000 howling fans watched him put away Cooney Tucker, a sturdy blonde kid from Fort Wayne, Indiana, with a second-round TKO. When the official intervened, the Hoosier re- was receiving a severe beating, reported the Free Press's Charlie <laughs> Ward. In the first round, one of Lewis's right, hand, right head shots almost Ooh. dropped him. In the, second, in, in the second, Joe rocked him several times with right crosses, left hooks, and right uppercuts. It isn't likely that he could have finished the round, and the referee performed an act of mercy in ending hostilities when he did. Joe blasted his way to the National Gold Gloves title when the tournament concluded in early March. In the semifinal match, he almost punched Ario Soldati of Rockford, Illinois, out of the ring. He easily handled Cleveland's Joe Bauer in the, in the title bout, winning over the crowd of nearly 22,000 with a display of skill and, and sportsmanship. 
Lewis was given a tremendous ovation as he left the ring, wrote Jack Carveth. He established himself here as the greatest amateur in the country. His clean-cut victory might have ended in a knockout had not Lewis refused to cut loose when he had his opponent on the ropes. Wow. So this was all in one night? Well, it's over the course of, uh, I think, a couple different nights. Yeah. Okay. First I was night, like, holy crap, he's got to do think, more than one it, fight a day? I think it lasted over the course of like a week. Oh, okay. But the right, first right, night, yeah, there yeah. was 15,000. You know, the first wow. one was like was, uh, 7,000 fans, 140. Bo- so the first couple nights is where you separate all the chaff. Sure, you know, I mean, yeah. even, but everyone fighting in the fight was a champion from a different city. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and it's this, like. Uh, you're, you're pulling all this out of the. Uh, the Richard Backs. Yeah, the Great Black Cult. I got it up there. Yeah, it's a tremendous book. Absolutely. And so, um, so, so, anyways, uh, so, so yeah, so what you know, so it, it's just a great thing. So you see, how would have Evans have done if he had beat Joe? Well, would he have been powering through like Joe was? Well, do you think? I don't know, but you know, at this point, Joe was fighter. backed by John Roxborough, and Evans is going to be one of the champions that we're going to get back to him. Oh, he's, also, he's one he's of the got, thirty-five champions. That's he's gonna not come done. Out. He's, he's not, not done. done. With him. No, okay. Evans was a great fighter. He ended up. I mean, he just didn't have. He. I don't think that he had the pure knockout lethality like Joe Lewis right. did. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like Joe. You know, whereas Evans, you know, that this was, you know, that was one of the fights that determined which direction, which fighter was going to go on to the next level, was going to go to Chicago and win, you know, and fight in that tournament. You know, it was going to be, it was going to decide which guy was going to do that. And Joe was the one that took that home, you see. Um, so anybody, but there's one thing I sort of, I wanted to point out there, yeah. which is essential. And I actually highlighted it before I shut the book. All right, sorry. Um, no, no, it's, you know, I, I already read that. I already read it, but I want to emphasize hit something. Hit it again, yeah. Right. I want to hit it again. It's the very last sentence that I said, um, which is written here. His clean cut victory might have ended in a knockout. This is his, the final championship uh, bout. His clean-cut victory might have ended in a knockout had not Joe Lewis refused to cut loose when his opponent was on the ropes. Right. His opponent was helpless, helpless, mm. and Joe didn't finish him off. Right, he, right. He, gave, he had mercy for his opponent. Sure. And as much as it's like, well, that's it's you like, know, Joe's a nice guy. You don't you yeah. want to beat up somebody when they're down. But as we're going to see, as, as this Joe's story unfolds, that is going to be something that has got to be rid out of his system mm. because there. And that's what this is. What makes such a tremendous like a movie, a story over this movie is Joe was a genuinely nice guy, but there, but what he's going to realize, what these what his promoters are going to realize as his story unfolds, is that he cannot be a nice guy in the ring. Sure, yeah, when he is yeah. in the ring, these like he is a black boxer in an era that doesn't want to give him a chance. That the the referees. If there is a, you know, they, they at least it was felt at this if time. If there's a split decision, he's not winning. There you it. go. That he's not going to advance his career continuously. He's not going to make it to the top. He's got to lay these guys down. He's got to lay them out. Yeah. And they actually told him his the the fit your fists have to be your referee. That's what he's got going against them. Mm. You know, it's you know, and that's what the you know that that's where that's you know the, the, these issues come in. Because if him, you leave it to issues. points on a scorecard. Oh, exactly. He could get the other person the, wins. Exactly, yeah. and so there's, and so he has got to knock these guys out. Be definitive. And the other thing too is he's got to put on a show. He's not a flashy guy, so his show has got to come from his the lethality of his fists. And if it mean, and, and what fight fans want, what they pay to see, they pay to see blood. They pay <laughs> to see knockouts. You see what I'm saying? That's yeah. what, and that's what Joe. So this natural, this is what you know, as good as he was. That story right there, it it's it talk, it, you know, it it um, and you're gonna. This is not the first time. Sure, it's gonna happen. You know, several more times where his trainers, the more people we're gonna introduce as we go along, yeah. are gonna sit there and say, Joe, 
I know it sucks to knock somebody out that's in La La Land, but you got to put them down. You know, you these guys yeah. they didn't come here to watch a they, you know watch a medically ended fight or a sure. TKO. Yeah. They came here to watch somebody's face hit the canvas. Right. You know? well, I just I laugh. I'm, I'm laughing because I, I just remember. Um, in in the well, whatever when Mike Tyson and his fights and all the pay per views right yeah. and it was like you know Mike Tyson from Las Vegas and they, they, people pay you know just all this Absolutely. money for the pay per view uh, two hundred three hundred dollars for the pay per view watch rights it? and then and then it's like twenty seconds knockouts <laughs> but the seal but the seal the people were going that was a great fight it was an amazing fight it was twenty seconds it you doesn't matter a hundred bucks yeah pay per view for twenty but seconds but you got of... to see electricity you yeah, see what I'm saying like yeah, you know yeah. there's you know there's... I'm just saying it's fun it just it cracks is, me up but that... the but the thing is about it is and he did I don't know how many times he did that and he just it was the pay per view and he's just like just crushed the person oh and yeah the fight I grew was up watching Tyson minute. I know I grew up watching Tyson you just and it was like sort of like another you know it was like a, you know you just turn on your sports like there's Tyson knocking another guy out. <laughs> I remember I turned into him. I tuned into him on the radio. There was like a radio fight, and I tuned in for it was him against another Michael. I remember, yeah. and they they were like the Mike you know Mike Tyson versus Michael such and such, and and I remember turning the listening on the radio. And it was like a minute and a half. It was yeah. over. Like, he's down. He's out. He's, on, he's knocked out. Ten count. He's over. I was like, dang, man. He is a beast, you know? Uh, all right. So we got to fill the rest of this sure. time with something. But then the next crowd will be twice as big right. because there's going to be big. And basically, you know, because that's what they're coming to watch. Is, you know, he gonna be able to, is he going to be able to knock him out in ten seconds again? Or, or just knock him out in general. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, they, yeah. And, and, you know, boxing, just like any sport, is about star power. You know, I mean, if you if you have a you know a superior baseball team like Babe Ruth, for instance, the yeah. Yankees were clobbering people back in the '30s. Man, they're blow, they're blowing teams out and winning. You know, setting records for numbers of wins in a season. People don't people gravitate to winners. Yeah. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. like it, oh yeah, your team just blew somebody out. It wasn't a competitive game, but that you know, the dominance of your team is why you're there and why it's so awesome, you know, your dominance of that fighter. Yeah. And, and so, so Joe really struggled with that early on. Yes. He was in and he He's was He's a nice guy. He didn't want to hurt anybody. You know? I'm gonna win. I don't have to There's no reason to finish this guy. He's yeah. not he's he's not even conscious. He's standing up on his feet and he's you know, he's dazed and I don't you know, he's it's Ref's gonna end the fight for me, you know. I don't need to yeah. land that killer knockout. You know, I might yeah. hurt the guy. Yeah, that's his meant. I mean, and the thing is about it, that's a, you know, he's a that's that's another. I mean, you know, it's a negative inside the ring, but I mean, it's a, it's sort of a clue into you know the type of person Joe Lewis was, mm-hmm. which was that he was a genuinely nice guy. He didn't want right. to hurt anybody, you know. But this is what he did for a career. You know, it was it was, it was actually kind of a you know it's a you're a, in a funny occupation for a nice for guy. a nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. I mean. Really, it is. You know, he's like Joe's like, well, I don't want to hurt anybody. He's like, well, you're also in a blood sport, you know, yeah. for survival. That guy wants to murder you, you know. So, anyways, um, so it was, you know, so so Joe wins his thirty four. So he, he wins the thirty four <clears throat> yes. Golden Gloves. Yeah, so he wins the thirty four, not only the local but the nationals. Right. So now that's so that, like the guy said in the quote there. Um, Joe, you know, Joe is is emerged as the number one amateur, as the number one amateur uh, boxer in the country, and so he would, uh, so he, so he would, um, there, so there was one more little incident that sort of happened. Uh, um, so he would, uh, uh, um, right, so hurry he it would, up. The streetlights are on, man. Street, which street? I'm kidding. I'm, oh, kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All, I thought you were all packing up. I thought you were all packing <laughs> I'm kidding, up. Here. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, no, the, the bars. So it's late at this now. moment that we, you mentioned Charlie Ward, and the new, as a newspaper writer there begins to call him the Brown Bomber. It's oh. at this point that the name Brown Bomber is going to start to associate with Joe Lewis. Okay. 
in growing intensity the longer Did you find the first, uh, <clears throat> was the first instance of that you found in uh, print? I don't necessarily have that. I'm kind of, I'm going again by with Richard Back says okay, in again, his book. Yeah. Yep, all right. Um, and so uh, so, so right after time. the Golden Gloves? Yeah, it's, the right brown this, it's right at that time. Well, because so. how, many, how many bouts did he have to go through there in I don't Chicago? Have that, I don't have that information. But there's a, bu- I mean, it's a ton. It was I mean, a series a of fights Yeah, through, it's a scrum. I think, it was, through, I, think, I, think, I think Richard Back said eight. There was, uh, I think there was, uh, I think, what did so he that say? sounds six? like a week's worth of work. I think yeah. there was like six different guys he had to fight that he yeah. had to get through. Um, I think that's what he said in that quote. Um, so anyways, uh, so he moved on. So the next thing, there was a national AAU championship in St. Louis. And um, so it, uh, but he, but he had hurt his hand either in that, in the Chicago Gold Gloves or in something that happened afterwards. So he didn't get to fight in that. But then there was an international championship in Chicago, where they brought over these fighters from across the world to yeah, face yeah. him, All so right. that Joe would become the international boxing champion. Okay, and it was supposed as Richard Bax's book, it was supposed to be the capstone of what Joe Lewis had done at this point. However, um, some really shady things happened. Okay, the oh. fight was in the, this this championship was in Chicago, and it was a, against a Polish team of very talented something Polish shady fighters. in Chicago. Yeah, right. So it's say it first ain't time so. ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, and so Joe, <laughs> so Joe goes to the weigh in, and he's in, and they they weigh him up, and he he is disqualified from fighting uh. the tournament because he was two ounces over the hundred and seventy pound uh, height lightweight light heavyweight limit. I, I'll be right back. I'm just gonna go. Well, they say that it was. Well, Richard Baxton's book, it was potentially caused by a drink of water that he had, like, an hour before the fight. It was, like, that much of a difference. In that, but there's also some people who say that the, the scale was messed up sure, and that there was yeah, such yeah, and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and two ounces, they DQ him off of two ounces. And some people were saying, hey, can we just waive the two ounces? And then the, but the guy who was in charge of the fight said no. That can didn't I, what, like, can you so, give me ten minutes? They're like, they I'm said, jog around the block and said no. Use the toilet. It's the official weigh-in. Yeah. And so, so he was disqualified from the from the nationals at that uh. moment. And so, then this was even more messed up. Is that <clears throat> is that uh, while so he didn't even get to watch the fight happen? Could it be? Was it was this possibly race based? There, there's potentially that. Of course, yeah. of course, yeah, yeah. there was. And so, but there's another thing too, which is, and I'll get to this uh, is. When Joe went to go watch the actual fight, the yeah. championship fights, he, uh, the police came into, into the into the arena and arrested him. Uh. And they was and they arrested him for some. They were looking for some. I think it was. Uh, uh, and this is, again, it's all out of Richard Back's book. Um, that he, that they arrested Joe in the out of the crowd because uh, they said that they were like that he matched the description of like a guy that I think it was from Kansas or something. That it was a, like he matched the profile of a guy who was like a, you know it was like a some big criminal somewhere else. And Joe's like, I was 15 years old when that happened. Like yeah. that was three years ago. I was a kid in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. And they were, and so they released him. Right. And so, um, and and they and so that's when they that's when Richard Beck is speculating in here in in speculation at the time was that there was the Chicago gamblers that had money on this Polish boxing group. Right, and that they were no way they were going to let Joe fight these guys and demolish them, and so they sure. and so they, they the Joe's replacement, they you know they had better odds of you know making money if Joe wasn't fighting, and so Joe you know so that was the case. But one of the most the key components of this, which is important to, to know, that's why I mention it here, is that um, is that Joe didn't make a fuss throughout this entire thing. He didn't scream in the middle of the arena. What are you doing? Leave me alone! You know he didn't like make, you know go crazy and start right. swearing at people, or sure. swearing at the judge, swearing at the detectives. He just was totally calm. 
and just kind of like you know, I mean, he was he was scared, of course, but sure. he was, but he but he wasn't, but he didn't like flip out and act you know act you know crazy and be like, oh, this is an idiot. I didn't deserve it. He just went with the flow, went with the sort of system, got released and came back, and and so that reveals another sort of component of something that's going to come into play with him, with his character, yeah, with which is is that he was not this flamboyant crazy you know like he wasn't volatile no, he wasn't vo- perfect word he was yeah. not volatile he wasn't gonna he's sure. not gonna cause any kind of disturbance and that, again and that a, probably played in his favor to when creep, we're talking about the forward. jack johnson concept yeah. where you know what, what do you think jack johnson would have been saying oh yeah moment? yeah he yeah, been yeah, losing yeah. his friggin mind yeah yeah and so that's what i'm saying i'll so fight you i'll fight I'll these 10 cops he might have been Let's punching go. him in the arena before he got arrested <laughs> you know who knows oh, yeah, yeah. but what i'm saying is once again these are you know this is an attribute that you know that you can sort of right. glean you know these type of attributes from you know these from these moments um and so, anyways, and so, so following, so he didn't get the, so he didn't win the international championship, which was, um, you know, it, you know, too bad it would have been a nice, you know, sort of capstone sure. to that story. Um, but uh, and so that's in May when that international championship happens, um, and then in, and so then in June, Joe has one more amateur knockout, uh, one more fight, just sort of is like a um, like a side fight when he gets back to Detroit, and uh, and, he, and, it's, and it's a knockout, and so that fight that he had in June of 1934. Left Joe's amateur record at fifty wins, four losses, with forty three knockouts. Oh, forty. So does that does that put the exclamation point on what John Roxborough is seeing with this kid fighter? Yeah, he had four losses early on when he first started against Johnny Myler. Do you think Johnny Myler's going to come back and fight him now? You know no. what I mean? Like fifty fifty wins. Forty-three of those are knockouts. Somebody cue the LL Cool J. Yeah, this is Mama said knock <laughs> you out. Yeah, yeah. Well, you need to have that on screen so you can hit the button and hit it in, right? <clears throat> so forty. So this is the fighter that people are looking at, right? Here, yeah. this is the fighter. The yeah. Forty-three knockouts in his fifty wins. This is what draws a crowd. Yeah, you see, uh, yeah. and that's what John Roxburgh is seeing. And so after this, after this fight, um, this last like sort of amateur fight he has. Um, Joe Lewis decides to turn pro, okay. and, he's, and so he tells John Rockwell. John Rockwell's like, "Well, hold on a second. Let's have one more year because he had. Keep in mind, he had competed as a light heavyweight throughout the Chicago these Gold Gloves. Sure, and Joe sure. wants to go become a pro, a heavyweight pro. Right, right, and right. So, and so he's like right there at the cusp. Yeah, so he's so he two says, ounces well, into heavyweight. Exactly. So John Rockwell's <laughs> like, "Well, next year let's, let's have one more year. Bit. Let's beef mm. you up a little bit. Let's get some muscle on you. And next year you're going to go through the Ch- Detroit, Chicago, and then the international at the full heavyweight. Right. And you're going to win all that. And then now then you're going to be you can get any fight you want. Sort right, of thing, but Joe you know? wanted to go pro. He, need, he said he needed the money. Uh, it was time to go pro, and he and so he convinced John Roxborough. Even his sixteen siblings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he needs money, and so yeah. he, so he says, it's, "I want to go pro now." Sure. And so and so with that, um, with that, he he convinced John Roxborough, but John Roxborough is in absolutely no position to like. Um, to train Joe and to do like to, the next level to go pro is going to require some people that have some serious, um, you know, that have some experience with the fight game. Sure, right? They needs a real trainer, a professional trainer. He needs a professional manager, you know, somebody that really knows some of these ins and outs of this fight game and knows how to deal with the contracts and deal with real getting booking fights and stuff like that. Yeah. And so and so he can so he so he so the next so that's what we're going to be talking about in the next episode is 
that you know where he talked about Ben Turpin and John Roxburgh, two of these big influences at this point in his life. And there's going to be two more major influences, both of whom are going to come into play in the next part of our story, which is the two those two players, those two people are Julian Black and J- and Jack Blackburn. Um, those that's who we're going to be talking about in the next episode. Um, and so yeah, so you know, at this moment, I wanted to sort of one last little mo- thing to point out. At this moment, so when Joe was fighting for the 1934 uh, Detroit Gold Gloves, and actually more specifically the 34 Chicago Gold Gloves, at that moment, the t- the 1934 Tigers are in spring training. Okay. Okay. So you, and so the, so they're in spring training. Mm-hmm. So um and so in so right about the time that Joe is about to turn professional. Mm-hmm. Okay, right about right after he's um you know he's won fifty fights and he's t- talking. Is this to, when Mickey entered or his this second was season? Mickey's first year. Okay, so the Tigers haven't made their big come out yet. Right? All right. The Tigers are nobodies, just like yeah, Joe they, is. they were stinking up the field. So the Tigers last are nobodies, year, yeah. and Joe's a you know still a nobody okay. really, right? He I means he's an up and coming amateur, but there's sure. nothing more than that. Right, right. And so um and so so I'm trying to you know kind of show the context of where we're at in this story. Okay. And so and so you know when Joe just as Joe's about to decide you know to, just as he's deciding deciding to turn pro and actually having the conversation with John Roxborough about going pro at that exact moment the Detroit Lions are coming to Detroit the announcement yeah. the announcement was July 22nd 1934 when the when the when the um I we we showed the illustration of the lion jumping through the hoop yeah um with the actual official announcement in the newspaper that the Lions that the Detroit was going to have an NFL team this, I mean, this, and it's at, it's right at this moment that the Lions are announcing the fact that in 1934, you know, in the fall, they're going to play their first season. Yeah. So you can see these teams. The Red Wings are, you know, the Red Wings are, you know, they begin play later on in the yeah. year. But you know, it's at, the, you know, trying to put, you know, trying to were put the in Red the context. Wings still the Cougars or were they? No, they're the, the Red, Red Wings. They're absolutely. the Red Wings. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, but so, but you can kind of see. So the Tigers are nobodies. The Lions are nobodies. Joe Lewis is a nobody. Right. The Red Wings are nobodies at this. The city's point. asleep still. Exactly. So the city's Time asleep. Time to wake the Giants. Exactly. But that's but you see what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> but, you, but you see how all of these forces. You're right. like 1934 is such a critical, you know, critically important to understand 35 right. because it's in, it's in, it's essentially important to see how in 34. You know that these, you know, the Tigers, of course, would grow. You know, come May, June, July, the Tigers would become. You know, they would come right out of the gate, going and fascinate the entire city. Yeah. But there's this one sort of point, you know, at this moment where this is all this stuff is just starting to to happen. You know, and it's it, nobody knows about these guys. They're nobodies at this point, and they're starting to come out. You know. So and so in the screenplay that I wrote, that's this is what I we focus on. There's each of these subjects has the 1934 subject, a story of them in 1934, and then the story of them in 35 and so you know that's so we're gonna you know keep on talking about joe in 1934 in the next episode awesome all right, so all, most of this is coming out of uh, Richard Back's book. Well, yeah, there, his early the, life expression. We'll, well, we'll get back to my book, certainly. Right. But, um, so, uh, but no, the, I'll just put it yeah, up for folks. The, we talked about it a couple of times, and I yeah. finally put the graphic But, up, I mean, but. I use you know I use a lot of what Richard Back does just for understanding sure. you know, who Joe was in 34 as the primer for 35, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we I, you draw on a range of sources when you're talking about this stuff, and um, you know, and I, you know, it's uh, you know, Richard Bax, one of the guys I'd love to. I've never met him. And I'd love to meet him one of these days. I've re- I read his, his first book. I read was the t- there was a book on Ty Cobb that he did, which was like one of my first favorite books. Yeah. And so as I'm saying, like he's like you know he's like the dean of Detroit sports. He really is. Yeah. And, um, there it's you know the Joe Lewis book is just sensational, and um, you know if you can't wait till to hear what happens in the next episode. 
Go out and get Richard Mack's book. Yeah, Richard, <laughs> Richard's got yeah, you covered. Yeah, Richard, I mean, my book, and, I talk about the 34. We're starting to get into my territory with the book, too, yeah. You know where I start to really pick up in 34. I mean, I yeah. I really I kind of glaze over some of that early stuff that we talk about there with the Chicago tournaments and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does a nice little, you know, fuller um, detail. And that's why I, I, I like that we can do this, hitting the stuff that you mm-hmm. – had to omit from your book, just, I mean, you know, you only have so many column inches. Yeah, because, well, you know, there's, exactly, because uh. my main focus was, thir- I mean, I did talk about 34, but yeah. specifically 35, but, um, but uh, you know, the thir- I did do the primer for each year in 34 in yeah. kind of a quick rundown, and so, you know, I mentioned in my book about the, the Chicago the, Bulldogs the, the and foundation like and Jack Johnson and everything we yeah. had to lay in for that. Yeah, I mean, but the details that he puts in yeah. this, you know, that we can draw on these different range of sources and really yeah. take our time with this stuff and actually explore. I'm loving this, man. Uh, I am too, yes, for Just, sure. We uh, actually get to do an entire show on the, the, the Gold Glove tournaments, which is, you know, super cool. And by the way, when you want, one of the things that was cool about the Gold Gloves, they used to draw people into wanting to participate, yeah. was the fact you actually won a little Gold Glove pin yeah. to wear on your shirt. Nice. So imagine. Imagine you're walking around Detroit in the 30s and you got a gold glove pin on your shirt. Yeah. You know, you're like the I mean, was, you know, you're like the coolest kid on the block, man, you know. So I, earlier today, running another podcast and uh, there was a, a former Detroit Piston here, uh, Rob Griffith. He did a okay. very short sure. Piston career. Uh, nice guy though. And uh, he was like, "So, hey, what else do you do?" And I was telling him about this podcast uh, about the City of Champions. And he was like getting excited about the story. He's like, "Can I come and hang out sometime?" I'm yeah. like, "Oh yeah, Rob, you absolutely can sit down." He's got great pipes too. The oh, guy's okay. got a great voice. I just, I just want him to come in and talk. <laughs> yeah, tell him to come. He's in. funny you know, too. We're, we're telling stories about all this stuff. So it just, but it, it's just it, it, taking the time with the story and telling the story, and, and even just I just you know gave him that elevator pitch about it, and he got excited about it. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that everybody's hanging out. Getting excited about the story with us. We appreciate you. So like, subscribe, leave a comment, collect. Uh, yeah, share this basket. with us. Take it, take it. If you're still, you know, if you're listening to us right now, do it, do us uh, at this exact moment. I've been finding myself on YouTube in this. When the, when the actual broadcaster says, take this moment right now and hit the thumbs up or the share button. Like right now. Please do, do it that. right now. Please. <laughs> Don't wait for us to finish. Do Don't it right wait. now. Do yes. it now. Like, subscribe. Yes. Wherever wherever fine podcasts are sold, if, you, if you're not subscribed to it as a podcast, you can subscribe to it. Uh, subscriptions are free, uh, not just the first one. We're not crack dealers. Nope, yeah. they're all free. Yeah, but you, yeah, but yeah, they're all free. But we're gonna nope. try to hook you with those first nope. ones, just like drugs. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Get no no paywall. No yeah. paywall. It's uh, it's all it's all free. It's all for you. Because uh, this story belongs to the city, and Absolutely. I want to give it back to the city. We want to give it back, and we want to bring it back in a big way. Yep. So I mean, and the thing is, is, is that at the very least, we get to hang out for the week and yeah. talk talk about the stories. Yeah, which and it is, doesn't. And we said it before, uh, that's, like that's. That's the story doesn't, but you know, just because I got the books on it or whatever, and we're doing the show, this there. story doesn't belong to either one of us. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to all of us. Yeah. And it's a story that what other story that has been forgotten or you know deserves its place in the pantheon of heroes and achievements of this city that has gone, you know, that has gotten less attention yeah. and deserves. You know more. You yeah, know the, the, the differential between the attention it's gotten and the attention that it deserves is so out of whack yeah. that it, it really it's going to take it's going to take a collective group of people to to you know to make this happen. And it's like you know like I say, so anybody anything you can do to share, like whatever. If you know Please. somebody that's interested, if you know somebody that's got ideas or connections or anything that can make this thing happen and help us take this thing to the next level, hook us up, man. Sure, you know, heck, share it, yeah, share you know, it, yeah. share it, share it with people you like, share it with people you hate. Just share it. 
All right. Uh, till next time, we'll do it again. Put them up. Put them up. Yeah, you got it. What's that from? <laughs> What's that from? Wh- Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's right. It is. Cowardly, the, 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 the cowardly Lion. Cowardly Lion. That's up, right. Put them up. Put them up. Yeah. That's a, yeah. All right. See you guys next time.